So again, another day where we have the privilege to be able to study Shantideva's text, which is one of the most amazing texts, I think, um, that we can actually understand. Yeah? You know, chapter 9 is, is more difficult, but the rest of it, we can understand. It's not so hard. The challenge is putting it into practice. Yeah? And so remembering the teachings after we've heard them and then going back and thinking about them and applying them in your life, in your meditation sessions. And then you, you set up that habit, then it's easier to remember all these things during your life. Okay? So we, we've really got to put energy into doing that and not just... Uh, you know, have oral teachings on something and then our meditation is on something else. Yeah. Um, but to, to really, you know, when you've had teachings, really uh, meditate on them afterwards. You know, that makes it much more powerful, I think. Not I think, I know. <laughs> okay. So. So somebody uh, in a letter to me recently said, uh, you know, my mind is filled with afflictions, but whenever uh, I think about bodhicitta, there's no afflictions in my mind. Yeah, and that's very true. You know, so the more we can recall the bodhicitta again and again and again, and uh, then the more just having that thought in our mind prevents the arising of afflictions. Or if afflictions have arisen, then shifting the mind to thinking of benefiting sentient beings, uh, well, then you can't be angry at them at the same time and you can't be attached to them at the same time. You may think, well, I can still be attached to them because I care about them, and Bodhicitta cares about them. Attachment is not the same thing as caring about others. <laughs> okay? It is not the same thing as caring about others. Attachment has strings attached to it. Attachment is, I care about you because you do this for me or you are in relation to me in this capacity or I can rely on you for this or whatever. Okay, so there's lots of strings with attachment. As soon as the person doesn't fulfill what we want them to do, yeah, then we pull the strings and they break and, you know, and our mind flips into uh, anger or disgust or whatever. Okay? So just because you are attracted to somebody, don't think that, you know, that's a completely pure mind of love. Okay? I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but the songs on the radio are fake news. Okay? So, 
better to uh, have genuine love for others, which comes without strings, without expectations. Okay, because that love is steadier, it's more reliable. Okay. So, with that in mind, let's take a moment and generate bodhicitta before we begin. So, to give you another example from the news, I keep thinking I'm not going to have to bring it up, but then these excellent examples come. Uh, Rush Limbaugh died yesterday. Okay, so I think people more or less know who he is. He's uh, a radio talk show person who, uh, as one headline put it, spit out venom. He was quite um, antagonistic, very free to criticize a purveyor of fake news and so on. So that's the kind of person, when they die, it's very easy for the mind to say, got rid of him, thank goodness, he's not going to bug us anymore. Very easy for that to arise in the mind. Yeah. And so to protect the mind, you know, as soon as we hear that, it's like, you know, because like his wife was saying, oh, he's up in heaven, you know, kind of, he's going to take care of us from heaven with all of his good news. And, um, you know, and to think, no, I don't think he's going to wind up in heaven, you know, when you think about, the speech that he used. Now, you know, we think of the four non-virtues of speech, lying, divisive words, harsh speech, idle talk. Yeah, it's, he had a lot of those, okay? And so to be able to pray that in his next life, he meets the Dharma and, you know, is attracted to it and does some very strong purification, especially purification of speech. Yeah. So instead of, you know, rejoicing at his death and or whatever, to to really make prayers for him to be able in a future life to uh, you know, transform her, his mind and have more positive attitudes and thus more positive speech and not to suffer from the the negativities created in this life. Okay? So if you think about it that way, then, you know, bodhicitta, 
especially if we say I'm working for the benefit of sentient beings, then in future lives may I be able to share the Dharma with Rosh Limbaugh, and may he take to it and practice it and attain realizations. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that can, that protects our mind. And it's nice to send some good wishes, you know, to his consciousness as it goes on. Um, uh, Donnie called Fox News to give a eulogy of Rush. And the eulogy consisted of um, how the election was fraudulent and it was rigged and Rush, Rush knew that and he was just as angry as Donnie was and that was the eulogy on and on again about the election. Yeah. So um, at least we could send Rush some good energy that hopefully will benefit him. You know, these teachings here, okay, they were given in the 8th century, but there are things to practice today. We should not think, oh, we're such modern people. We don't have to, uh, you know, train our mind like these people back then when they didn't have computers. Uh, no. Okay, the teachings pertain to everybody. Okay, so we're still on Chapter 4. Um, unconscientiousness. And um, last time we were we were talking about, you know, how, how we have this incredible fortune, and yet we so often just fizzle away the time, you know, and and get distracted and and you know, do all sorts of crazy things. Uh, Shantideva says, as if we were hypnotized by a spell. Okay, and then he, the, he asks himself this question, even I do not know what is causing me confusion. What is there dwelling inside of me? That's the question to really look at. Yeah, did you look at it this last week? And driven by the self-centered attitude, it always mm -hmm. keeps pulling me away from what I want to do. How, how does the self-centered <clears throat> attitude pull you away from that? Um, because uh, it narrows my perspective, and I think only of myself, mm -hmm. and I don't think of how my actions are affecting anyone around me. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was able to see how something that, this idea of love, I thought... It's been very hard for me to tell love from attachment. And yesterday during the purification practice, I felt like I saw really clearly how attachment is very harmful to other people because it just wants to use them. And I knew this intellectually, but I, did, I, couldn't, I couldn't feel it in the heart, just how mm -hmm. uh, harmful and how um, it just doesn't care about other people. It, you know, it just wants... So just use them, and yep. I was shocked by how uh, ignorance can make black seem white or white seem black. Mm -hmm. And I, then I had a lot of compassion for people who can't 
tell what's ethical, what's unethical, what's virtuous, not not virtuous. The afflictions are so tricky. They really are. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice to be able to see it clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a very specific example, you know, of how attachment, you know, when Stanti Deva says, what's dwelling inside of me? Well, it's attachment. But how does attachment make you lose the Dharma? Well, very good example. I, you know, my attitude towards people changes towards using them instead of caring about them. Teaching last week on how political parties are similar to community on the oaths and the <laughs> the precepts and functioning as a group. So I had this very strong memory come up of my Charlottenanda situation that happened many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And how you had said in that teaching that day is that unless we really understand what kind of human being we want to be, we are so vulnerable to the ideologies and the charisma and the power systems that other people are able to manifest. Mm. And so I came back to really understanding, a part of me understanding how the supporters of certain people in our country can be mesmerized, because I know what that mind feels like, Mm. that the happiness of this life, for somebody else to take charge of my life, to be able to determine when I'm going to be happy and where I'm going to go and how I'm going to look and what I'm going to think, there's a willingness to give that away. Mm-hmm. And that's where the confusion of then I don't then when the afflictions arise, I'm sort of stunned that they're there. Well, I have I've given away all of my discernment. I've given away all of my wisdom, my willingness to stand, you know, with what's important to me. So I, I have a my heart really softened up to the folks who had done that whole thing at the Capitol, that that mind is totally seduced by the smoke and mirrors and the magical show that charisma and power people can really do. Yeah. And so this is getting into how how our mind falls for the display put on by charisma and power. The charisma and power and the misuse of it is the problem of the person who's putting on the show. Our problem is that we want somebody else to take charge. We don't want to be responsible for our lives. And this person promises... You know, uh, whether it's in a political realm or a spiritual realm, that if you do X, Y, and Z, your problems will be taken care of. And this person will make sure they're taken care of. And all you have to do is follow what they say without thinking about it and without investigating how things work, just giving away our power so that somebody else will take care of us. And how easy it is to do that. Because isn't it nice? I mean, being responsible for your life is difficult. You have to think about things and you get confused because you can't tell pink from purple. Yeah? But just, you know... I sign off to somebody else, then it's in their hands and I, you know, all I have to do is follow. So, you know, that's another mechanism of attachment and laziness. You know, when our mind is lazy, that's when we kind of just, you know, 
follow whatever somebody said. I got one letter uh, recently, you know, that started with, you know, oh, you are just like Aryatara and you, you know, are the precious holy guru and, you know, is going to lead me to awakening and all this kind of stuff. The kind of stuff I write to my teachers. But I mean it because my teachers are, you know, like that. But I'm not like that. And I wanted to <laughs> to to write to this person. And it's hard because, uh, you know, they may be offended if I say, please don't say that or think that. Uh, because I'll say, but all the texts say that's how you're supposed to see your teacher. So I'm just doing what the te teachings say. But the thing is, if... You know, this comes in the context of highest yoga tantra, somebody, a guru who's given you initiation. I haven't done that. Okay, so you don't need to think that way about me. And my concern about it, you know, I could, like, just let him do that. But my concern is, if you idolize somebody like that, that they are so perfect and they're the Buddha, and they're going to do everything perfect, then as soon as they do something you don't like, the critical mind arises, and you want to throw them out the window, because they go from being all completely wonderful to being the person who's deceiving you. And that happens because, you know, again, we don't understand what relying on the spiritual mentor means. And we think it means just what you said, we give, we idolize somebody. And American culture, we love to idolize people. Sports heroes, movie stars, you know, a politician here and there. And then when they don't meet our expectations, then we lose faith, and that's a, that's really disadvantageous for us. Whereas if we can approach things in a more realistic attitude, you know, then we realize when our judgmental mind starts coming up. Yeah? And we begin to see, oh, well, just because I'm judging, that doesn't mean what I'm thinking is true. Now, of course, it says that in the teachings. Yeah, that when you see faults in the teacher, that remember it's your judgmental mind. But what we often do is instead of thinking about this, we just say, oh, it's my judgmental mind. I'm not going to think like that. Oh, you're back to being Tara. <laughs> you know, until the next time they do something that, that you don't like. Okay, and then again the criticism comes. So we have to like investigate what does this teaching mean? Yeah, and how can I tell when something is uh, the difference between my judgmental mind and something that is a problem? Okay, or Notice how we put it there. This thing is a problem, or it's my judgmental mind. What about, it could be a problem, but I don't have judgment. And I deal with the problem as it should be. 
Or what about it's actually a virtuous uh, situation, but it's pushing my buttons and I need to look at what my buttons are. Okay. Do you see what I'm getting at about the need to really investigate and think about what the teachings mean and not just, uh, I believe. Yeah, because you notice every single talk when we've been listening to His Holiness's talks, you know, Every single one. The Nalanda tradition emphasizes reasoning and logic and investigation, not blind belief. He says that every single time. Okay. There's a reason that he says it every single time. Yeah. Because we say, oh, yes, yes, you're right. And I follow that. And then we don't. <laughs> yeah. Another factor that I observed in myself this week is strong habits, of course. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, um, yeah, lack of refuge. And then also, um, what was it? <laughs> I lost my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but habits are very, very strong. And then um, ignoring, oh, I have it back now. Ignoring basically um, reality, too. Um, mm -hmm. you know, not wanting to accept myself or not knowing myself good enough and mm -hmm. so having strong expectations on others or on myself and therefore affliction is a strong eye grasping. I need to have that, mm -hmm. I need to get that and but it's all stemming from this eye grasping. So yeah. I was looking at this this week. Yeah. Regard. Good. You can see very much how it comes from eye grasping and how what you said, judging yourself, yeah, and criticizing yourself, becomes one of the things that takes you away from the Dharma. Yeah. We think that if we judge ourselves, if we harangue ourselves and beat ourselves up enough, then we will you know, be a good little Dharma practitioner. But actually, we wind up wasting time beating ourselves up. Whereas, like you said, if we just accept where we're at now and know that we can change in the future and go about that changing process, then we're actually using our precious human lives. Yeah. Okay, so... Very good to, to see that and also to see how when we judge ourselves, then we wind up judging others. And that also wastes a lot of time. Yeah. Although it's so much fun to put everybody down, isn't it? Yeah. I just remember Geshe Nawandarge. I mean, this happened, what, 30-something years ago, but it was... He was so spot on. He said, when we sit and talk with our friends and we gossip, this person does this and that person does that and this that person, and they're all like, ooh, doing this. And the conclusion of the discussion is, we're the two best people in the world. <laughs> and it's absolutely right, you know. 
So it's an interesting mechanism. We criticize ourselves, which makes us criticize others. But then when we criticize others, we conclude that we're better than them because we don't fall to those same, you know, the uh, uh, low extremes that they do. So very tricky, the mind, very tricky. Okay, so here's what Shandi Deva says about that. Although enemies, such as hatred and craving, have neither any arms nor legs and are neither courageous nor wise, how have I, like a slave, been used by them? Okay, so here you, you gave some very good examples of what keeps us away from the Dharma. Okay, and what? Eh, hatred, craving. Yeah? Our two best friends, yeah, or the the two emissaries of the eye grasping and the self centeredness. Okay, hatred, I can't stand what you did, and craving, I want, I want, I want. And how the two go together. The more we crave, the more angry we get when we can't get what we want. Yeah, so whenever you're angry, Step back and ask yourself, what was I wanting? What was my expectation? Okay. And then Shandi Deva says, okay, these are our real enemies, not the other person. Okay, not the other person. The enemies of hatred and craving. They don't have arms and legs. Okay. They don't have... Uh, AK-47s or AR-15s, yeah. They don't have pipe bombs, okay. They don't have anything that they can physically assault us with, okay. And in addition, they're not courageous and they're not wise. They're definitely not wise because they get us into a whole bunch of trouble, because they misconceive uh, situations. And they're not courageous either because it's so easy to have an afflicted mind. You don't need any courage to go down the old habitual lane of my afflictions. Okay. So they don't have weapons. They don't have a way to physically harm us. They're not courageous. They're not wise. And then Shantideva says, how have I, like a slave, been used by them? Yeah, it's like when you woke up to Charlatananda, you know, and she had a relationship with, we say Charlatananda, yeah, some false teacher who kind of led a bunch of people down the wrong way. And, you know, and then when you begin to see clearly, you know, it's like I was like a slave. And how did I let myself get used by them? Yeah. Like some of the QAnon people uh, are saying nowadays, you know, when Trump was not inaugurated on January 20th, you know, how did I fall down that rabbit hole? Not just fall down. How did I deliberately run down it? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, this is the question to ask. What was I thinking 
that I just let the afflictions run the day. Okay, And what we're thinking usually is that somehow the afflictions, following the afflictions, will get me what I want and I'll be happy, or following the afflictions will protect me from uncertainty, yeah, protect me from having to be uh, responsible, or following the afflictions will protect me from external harms. Yeah, so look at how, you know, so often when we follow the afflictions, that's what's going on. We think that they're really going to benefit us. Yeah, if I really push and get my way so that the cups in the cupboard are put upside down, then I will be happy because it affirms that people respect me. And I will be happy because we are protected from germs because our, our cups are upside down. And this is what our self-esteem is based on. <laughs> it's hysterical, isn't it, when you think about it? How do I get self-esteem out of, you know, winning the argument about how to put the cups in the, in, the, in the cupboard or where to put the spatula? And yet look at what our mind latches on to as being the cause of happiness, you know? And so we push you know, for something without really even sometimes thinking if it's good or not. It's just the thing of, I've got to be right. And people have to respect me. And the way they respect me is they succumb to my rightness and my power. You know? So then you become the king of the cups. <laughs> or the queen of the cupboards, okay? And when you really see this in yourself, you have to laugh. It's like, what a dumb way to get self-respect. Hmm? What a dumb way. <laughs> okay, so how have I, like a slave, been used by them? At least slaves know they're getting used. Yeah, they know they're suffering and they know they're getting used by the slave owner. We follow the slave owner of the afflictions without any awareness that we're getting used and exploited by them. Okay, so when you meditate on this, it's very important to place yourself here and the afflictions there. So you're looking at the afflictions as something that is not inherently you. If you look at the afflictions as who you are, then you do the 
meditation incorrectly and your conclusion is, I hate myself. Okay, so that's just more of the above. We don't need that. So it's very important. The self-grasping is outside. The, the, uh, the self-centeredness is outside. The afflictions are outside. And when you're suffering, you point the finger at them. And so what it's taking is our tendency to blame something else for our problems. And what we're blaming here is not another sentient being. It's our afflictions, our self-centeredness, our, our eye-grasping. Okay? So this is actually a very skillful method, but it, it totally depends on seeing the afflictions as something that are not inherently you. If you don't do that, you, the meditation is, it turns out totally upside down. Okay? But I remember uh, when I was in Tibet on pilgrimage, and, uh, you know, I had heard this teaching many times, you know, about the afflictions, the self-centeredness being outside. And uh, we were going on horseback to um, Lamo Lazzo, the lake where they, they go to see the images to identify the next Dalai Lama. So there were, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight of us on the, you know, together as a group on horseback going there. So there was one Western monk who I had worked with before at a Dharma center. And sometimes we got along and sometimes, you know, it was like that. Um, but uh, his horse was very uncooperative. And when we would cross a stream, his horse would stop in the middle of the stream. And he's not somebody who, you know, he doesn't like that kind of stuff. He's like, you know, you you got to go, horse. And he was getting really upset because this happened with most of the streams that we crossed. <laughs> My horse was very cooperative. You know, she was really sweet. She just walked across the, the, the stream. So at one point, you know, when this happened, I offered to him to change horses. Okay. And he blew up at me. He got so angry. I don't know why, but he just, I mean, let out this tirade. I, maybe he confused me with the horse. <laughs> you know? And he said, when we were at this Dharma Center, you used to do this and you did that. And nobody liked you and everybody thought you were awful and blah, 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 blah. Totally blasted me. Okay. And, um, and thank goodness, because maybe, you know, the blessings of being on a pilgrimage, I remembered this teaching and I said, okay, there's my self-centered thought because I don't like being criticized, you know, but that's my self-centered thought. So I put that out there and I said, okay, self-centered thought, you're the one who created the negative karma that is ripening in this guy tearing you to bits. 
Yeah, and I couldn't escape him. We were on pilgrimage <laughs> on horses in Tibet, and I can't ride off on my own, you know. There's no way to escape him. So <laughs> I, I just said, okay, you know, self-centeredness, you're the one who tore other people apart with your big mouth, and now it's coming back with you, so you take all this criticism. It all belongs to you. You have the hurt feelings. You have the upset. It, you just, you know, the self-cherishing. You take on the whole suffering part of this. And I just kept thinking that the, the rest of the pilgrimage. And it was interesting because that night when we finally, you know, camped somewhere and, you know, he, he let loose on me again, it was actually, my mind was peaceful. You know, I was so surprised, like, this technique actually works. <laughs> you know, or maybe more, I should say, my mind can actually do it so that it works. And my mind was completely peaceful, and it's like, whatever. So, um, you know, this is what Shanti Deva is asking us to do. Put that outside and, you know, attachment, you're the one who, you know, is bringing me this suffering. Yeah, anger, you're at laziness, whatever it is, you're the one who's the cause of it. And so then you can get good and revved up and tell them off. Yeah, tell your afflictions off, not tell the other person off. Okay? Because we've got it all background, backwards. Other sentient beings are kind. Our whole lives depend on them. Yeah, the afflictions send us to the lower realms. Who do we criticize? The sentient beings who are kind to us, who we depend on. Who do we love? The afflictions that send us to the lower realm. We've got things upside down. Okay. So verse 29, For while they dwell within my mind, at their pleasure they cause me harm. So you can just, you know, I find it very uh, uh, helpful sometimes to um, anthropomorphize my afflictions and make, you know, a mental little sketch of what they look like, okay? So, so there's attachment or anger or laziness, whatever it is. And at their pleasure, they cause me harm. So what is somebody, you know, who at their pleasure, who really, you know, whenever they feel like it because they have the power can cause me harm and it gives them pleasure? What does that person look like? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's interesting, you know, to develop some kind of mental image. And then when you do torma offerings, offer to that anthropomorphification of your afflictions and think that they're satisfied. Yeah. But I uh, when I think of this, I think of like a an emperor or a king or a queen or a czar all decked out in their jewelry, who just says, off with their head, you know, something like that. 
you know, who gets pleasure out of causing others harm. And then, you know, you offer torment to them. Now they can be the uh, afflictions, you know, when you're doing practices where you offer torma to different spirits and different beings, then they look like that. Yeah. Okay. At their pleasure, they cause me harm. Yet I patiently endure them without any anger. I am such a good slave. But this is inappropriate and sh a shameful time for patience. It's like I completely, you know, I'm patient, I tolerate, I praise them. But what I'm doing is totally inappropriate. They are my slave drivers. It's inappropriate to just act like that towards somebody who's harming me. Okay, who's sending me to the lower realms. It's not the right time to practice patience. I need to turn around and say, self-centered mind, ego, you know, attachment, uh, you know, hostility, holding grudges, wanting revenge, holding resentment. You're the one that's making me miserable. Okay. Self-criticizing, self-criticism, you're the one whose fault this is, okay? So this is not the time to be patient and just say, oh yes, sweet selfishness, you're right, let's go get all the other cookies, you know? Um, let's go, you know, do this or that. Uh, nobody will notice. You know, anyway, everybody else doesn't keep the Abbey guidelines very well. So it's perfectly all right if I do this too, because they all do it. Okay, so verse 30 says, should even all the gods and demigods rise up against me as my enemies, they could not lead or place me in the roaring fires of deepest hell. Okay, so people, you know, all the, the people are terrified of spirits and demons. Yeah, and you know, and many religions believe in them. I mean, the devil in Christianity, very strong image, they're going to come get you. Or some kind of amorphous boogeyman, somebody ex outside, some horrible force that is going to come with their mouth dripping with blood and, you know, raging eyes. And yeah, somebody who looks like Himantaka, you know. So you look at Yamantaka and you go, oh, you expect me to make offerings to that guy and, you know, visualize myself as him? No way. Yeah. So, you know, our, our mind does, does like that. It's like, yeah. Okay. So even if all these horrific looking beings, okay, or, or maybe you think, <laughs> maybe you think the police or ICE, they're going to come get you. 
or, you know, IRS is going to come get you, or, you know, your neighbor is going to come get you, or whoever it is, you know, somebody is going to unearth all those horrible things we did. Or even we didn't do anything horrible, they're going to make up all sorts of lies about us, right? Because nobody appreciates me. I mean, we're in the Donny Club. Nobody else has gone through as much as I have gone through. Nobody else, no president has endured as much. No other sentient being has endured as much as I have for your benefit. Okay, so, you know, we fall prey to that one too, don't we? So even all the gods and demigods rise up against us as our enemies, trying to exploit us. You know, there's the IRS coming. The FBI is going to arrive at 7 o'clock in the morning. That's what time they come, sometimes 6. Yeah, they come early in the morning, wake you up. Yeah, here they have to come really early. Because yeah. <laughs> even they come at 5 o'clock Pacific, we're at 4 o'clock, so they actually have to come really early to get us. Yeah. No, we're at, six o'clock. we're at 6 o'clock. Yeah, so we're already up. Yeah. We can have cookies and tea with the FBI. <laughs> um, Okay, so even all of this happens, yeah, they can't or lead me nor place me in the roarous fires of deepest hell. So no matter how much somebody hates me, yeah, there's no way they can send me to hell. They can say, go to hell every day to me, but that doesn't send me to the hell realms. Somebody else hating me does not make me have a lower rebirth. Okay, what makes me take a re lower rebirth? The afflictions, the self-centered mind that I think are my protectors. But how do they send me to the hell realms? When I fall under their influence, I create negativity. I create negative karma. That negative karma ripens. How does it ripen? Yeah. First way the complete actions ripen is in a lower rebirth. Yeah. Other sentient beings cannot send me to a lower realm. Yeah. My afflictions... My selfishness do that. Yeah. So that's why they say it's, you know, the, the real thing to deal with is in here. 31. Yet the mighty foe, these disturbing conceptions, disturbing emotions, wrong views, in a moment can cast me amidst those flames, which, when met, will cause not even the ashes 
of the king of mountains to remain. So even when Mount Meru was destroyed by fire at the end of the eon, there's still no ashes because the fire is so strong it's burned the ashes. Okay? So other sentient beings cannot make me experience that. Okay? The afflictions do. The self-centeredness does. So who are my real enemies? Yeah, that's what we need to really be, be clear about in our mind. 32. All other enemies are incapable of remaining for such a length of time as can my disturbing cons- attitudes. The enduring enemy that has neither beginning nor end. Okay, so all other external enemies, yeah, none of them last very long. Okay, they all die. And we don't even have to make them die. Yeah, they disintegrate by themselves. They go out of existence themselves. Yeah. We don't have to kill external enemies. They're built in with impermanence. Okay. So they don't stay a very long time. They afflict me for a while, but they, they don't stay a long time. But the self-centered attitude, the self-grasping ignorance, all the afflictions, they've been with me since beginningless time. They have no beginning, and unless I counteract them, act them, they will have no end. So it says when they have neither beginning nor end, it doesn't mean that they never have an end. It means thus far they haven't ended because I've indulged them. Okay. So, yeah, when you think about it, you know, here's this person angry at me, bitter, blaming me, you know, ripping me to shreds with their criticism, pushing all my buttons, all the points they know I am sensitive about. They're pushing them, making me feel horrible physically and mentally. But they can't send me to the lower realms. They can't send me to the lower. They can't, you know, what sends me to the lower realms? My afflictions that react to what the external people are doing to me. Okay? So the other person is just, they're just the cooperative condition for our creation of negative karma. You know, somebody criticizes us. That doesn't send me to the lower realms. I get, I have hurt feelings, I get angry, I'm spiteful. That sends me to the lower realms. So what they do is not the real problem. How I respond to it, if I respond, you know, with an afflicted manner, that is what the problem is. So when you really meditate on this and develop some, uh, you know, it may not be an inference yet, but at least some correct assumption that yes, this is true, 
then when other people do things that inflame you, yeah, you just say, no use me getting inflamed. They're just doing their thing. Yeah, if there's something I can learn from this in, uh, this situation, if I messed up, if I was inconsiderate, if I wasn't listening, then I stop and now I'm going to listen and pay attention, you know, and I can learn from my mistake, whatever I did. Okay, if somebody's accusing me because they don't know the full story or this is just their mind, then I don't, there's no need for me to get upset in either of these situations. Okay? So you remember the thing of the nose and the horns. Remember that? Yeah? So if somebody tells you you have a nose on, the, uh, on your face, you don't get angry. It's true. Somebody tells you of a fault that you had or a mistake you made, don't no, get angry, it's true. If somebody accuses you, you know, because they have wrong information or because their buttons were pushed, that's like them saying you have horns on your head, you know you don't, no sense getting angry. Okay? And so in that way you protect yourself from the afflictions. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, and so we develop new habits to confront the afflictions. Yeah. If you suffer from laziness, what, what I think of as helpful, but which I often rationalize not doing, is what my friend told me about what she does when she can't get herself to the cushion is she, uh, you know, again, puts the whining mind that doesn't want to go to the cushion and meditate, who wants to instead do whatever, you know, stupidagio, out here, like a little kid, and says, I know you don't want to do that, but we're going to go. And we're going to do that. So Mama takes the kid's hand and, you know, gently but firmly gets her to the meditation cushion. <laughs> okay, or to whatever she needs to do. Yeah, maybe you're rationalizing, not doing some chore or some other thing, and you know. It's just, okay, I know you, I have sympathy, you, you don't want to do this, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay. Which is better than talking to yourself, I think. Like, you idiot, there you go again, procrastinating. Don't you know that you're not supposed to do that? Come on, get your, over here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. So learn how to talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, because those afflictions are the enduring enemy that has neither beginning nor end unless we put an end to them. 33. If I agreeably honor and entrust myself to others, they will bring me benefit and happiness. 
But if I entrust myself to these disturbing attitudes in the future, they will bring only misery and harm. Okay? So if I agreeably and wisely honor and entrust myself to others, they will bring me benefit and happiness. So this isn't talking about honoring and entrusting yourself to charlatananda or to somebody who's clearly abusing you, okay? It's not talking like that. But if, you know, there's other sentient beings who, uh, you know, you, de I mean, we depend on each other all the time for everything. So if I give people the respect that is due and in the trust that is wise, then relationships work out well. If I'm full of attachment and I give people honor which uh, and praise which is not well thought out, or I entrust them without checking circumstances and then things turn south, then that's my, my fault, you know. The red flags are out there waving and I ignore them. Have you ever done that? Yeah? Have you ever been aware of a relationship with red flags like mad? But there's something so charming about that person and so agreeable, and there's, you know, heaven, you know, at the end of it, and so you totally ignore all the red flags. And then, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Ever done that? Oh, God. You know, what a wonderful way to wind up in a mess. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to say the thought behind that is I'll just see what happens I know <laughs> yeah I know it doesn't make sense but let's just see what happens <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah it doesn't make sense but we'll see what happens or they will care about me so much that they will change yeah or I am so wise and kind and loving, I will make them change. I'm so powerful to make them change. Yeah. My, for me, my thinking was, uh, it's going to be a wild ride, but I just got to hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. It's going to be a wild ride, but I just got to hold on tight. Yeah, right. You know, I knew it was going to be a disaster, but for some reason at the end, there was going to be some reward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it'll be an adventure. Yeah. It'll be an adventure. Uh, I remember one time with one person, you know, and working with this person and then watching them. I mean, they had a lot of anger, but their anger and criticism was all towards other people. And I even thought one day, you know, it'll happen that their anger will go towards me. You know, I know this will happen one day, but, you know, I'll just, you know, go go along. I have some Dharma practice, you know, and and anyway, we get along really well, and they'll change. And, well, no, you know what it was? He'll, 
they'll get angry at me, but we'll talk it out and we'll come to a good resolution that will make us even better uh, working partners. That's how it will end, you know? It'll make us stronger working together. <laughs> stupid. Boy, was I stupid. And there were two, you know, the whole thing was decorated with, every time he criticized somebody, decorated with red flags, but they were waving that way. They weren't <laughs> waving this way. <laughs> Once they start waving, started waving this way, oh, oh, my stupidity was repaid with pain. <laughs> yeah. So, but the good thing about having those kind of situations is that hopefully you learn from them. Yeah. And so hopefully you learn, no, got to check things out. You know, and got to stop the rationalizations. And got to stop thinking that I will somehow help that person to change. Yeah. Now, surely, you know, I mean, we all say we want to become enlightened to benefit all sentient beings. So that means we want to influence them in a positive way. Influencing them is very different than making them change. But often we don't see the difference. And we think in our overwhelming wisdom that knows so much better than those people, that we can lead that horse to water and cram that water down their throat even though they don't want it, and that they're going to thank us for it afterwards. Okay? So... Get ready for a big disappointment. Yeah, I think this is one of the one of the things that uh, many people, bodhisattvas in training, run up against. Yeah. Uh, also, it's very important in that process to be humble. Um, I was reminded of um, people yeah. who including myself, who have authority issues. So you may reward that one, actually. Um, they give you wise advice, or they put a, um, give the precepts, for example, and then there's a point where you just don't want to listen and just do what you think is right. Or you don't think at all, you just reward. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right? We resist for the sake of resistance. Yeah. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And then when we get a little bit of power, it changes to everybody's going to do what I tell them to do. <laughs> because I, I'm filled with compassion and wisdom and I know what's best. Yeah. And I am going to hound them. <laughs> and force them and cry because they don't appreciate how much I am working for their benefit. Oh, yeah. 
I do this for them and I teach them and I do that and that. And how do they repay my kindness? Oh. Get ready for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did your mom ever do that? My 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 mom sometimes, you know, was like, I worked so hard for you kids. And I did this and that and that. And look how you're behaving as a result, even though I try love you so much and tried so much. It's like guilt supreme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you Catholics forget it. We Jews have much more guilt. Okay, although Catholics can rival sometimes. So, um, right, Catholics? Well, wait until you have kids of your own. Right, oh, I got that one too. Wait until you have kids of your own. So I didn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that, that's something to really protect your mind against. But really think about, you know, um, honoring and entrusting ourselves to sentient beings. If somebody's doing a good job, if somebody helps you, tell them so. You know, I really try when I, you know, when I have to make phone calls or things uh, to people I don't know to make appointments or to get something ironed out or to a government office or whatever, something like that. I really try and be as nice as possible to those people because I know that they have a hard job and that most people, you know, are just you know, not so nice to them. So I, you know, when they um, do something, I say, thank you, whatever. You know, I mean, recently I had to call for something and at the end, uh, you know, uh, she said, do you want to, uh, do you agree to take a survey? You know, and I said, sure. And I said, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to let them know on the survey that you did a very nice job. You were really pleasant and you were very helpful. And she said, thank you. I mean, the way she said thank you, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, somebody's going to say something nice about me. Uh, you know, and she deserved it. But usually people we don't know on calls, we don't treat very well. Yeah. Or in stores. Yeah, or, or stuff like that. Yeah. Internet. Oh, on the internet. Are you talking about people we know or people we don't know? We don't know. We, oh, people we don't know, we treat very awfully. How? See, this is what I don't understand. I don't come across many people who I don't know on the, well, I mean, many people I don't know write to me, but it's, they're not attacking me for anything. As an example, when you're reading something on New York Times, scroll and look at the comments. Those are people oh, who don't know the author. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why we, we close the comments, actually. <laughs> 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 oh, no, actually, we got some very favorable ones. But there were some people. 
Yeah. So what do you think? People just, because they're anonymous, they feel they can just let their anger out. Uh-huh. Does it really relieve stress? So in Korea, there's a lot of negative comments on celebrities. So there has been increase in suicide among celebrities because some of the comments are really, really, really awful. And they're consuming uh-huh. it every day and kind of internalizing them. And uh-huh. a number of celebrities kind of track them down and get police to investigate and stuff. And when people get caught, often they, they just, they're stressed out. That's how they relieve stress. Uh-huh. <laughs> Because they can't do that into a real person. Yeah. So they, they feel safe in the internet. So. Okay, so that's why they send death threats to, to all the government officials <laughs> like that. <sighs> wow. Comment online, it says, uh-huh. My mother said Jews invented guilt, but Catholics perfected it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, and then the Catholics hated the Jews. Yeah. Yeah. There's they still want to open up the files of the uh of the Pope during the Vatican uh in and the Vatican files of the Pope during uh, the Second World War. Yeah. There's a lot of suspicion that he was not kind to the Jews. Yeah. So to try and entrust ourselves to others, to trust people according to the amount of trust they can bear. And this is something important. Um, You don't trust a two-year-old with matches, but most adults you can trust with matches. Okay? You trust a pilot with your life when you board an airplane. Okay, don't trust me with your life when we get on an airplane. You know, I don't know how to fly an airplane. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying that, you know, it sounds really dumb, but some people with this whole thing of the guru is the Buddha and the Buddha, the guru is omniscient, think that their teachers should know how to fly an airplane. And if they get on the airplane and the teacher's doing it, it's, they're not going to crash. That, that's, not the, that's not how this teaching is to be taken, you know. <laughs> Really? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Buddha go in the driver's seat, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay. So you, you look at people and you see what their strong points are and you trust them in the ways that, that they are trust, trustable. Yeah, you put them on probation for ways you're not sure. And for things where they don't seem trustable, then, you know, you don't trust. Or the people that are trustable but need to be reminded five times, you trust that they will do it after you remind them five times. Okay. But you don't trust that they're going to do it after the first reminder. Okay. So... You know, we, we develop the ability to, to somehow figure out who to trust. And, and, and 
Trusting someone doesn't mean that you trust them in everything. Okay? You don't trust, you know, you trust them in specific things. Somebody who is an accountant, you trust as a, a reliable accountant. Okay? You don't trust them as a doctor. So, you know, so we trust different people in different areas according to their expect, uh, expertise. And I think it's good, you know, generally when we go in, when we meet people, to have an attitude, how they say, you know, our first attitude when we meet people should be one of metta. Here, metta meaning friendliness. So we go into relationships giving people the benefit of the doubt. They're a human being, you know, and, and they're kind. And we go in with that kind of attitude. And if, as we get to know somebody, we see that there's certain areas that are difficult for them, then we don't trust them in those areas, you know, not because they're bad and awful and horrible people, but because they just don't have the skill in those particular areas. Okay. And then we, you know, we can, we get along with them very well because we trust them in, in that area, but don't trust them in, in another area. I trusted everybody, uh, you know, for everything, then that's not going to work. Okay. If we, if we need an accountant and, you know, I trust, who, who am I going to trust? You know, I trust you as an accountant. You know, <laughs> yeah, you should see the face she just made. Yeah, that's not going to be too smart. Yeah, or or if I trust if I trusted uh, you to um, you know put in a new septic system. Yeah, <laughs> or run a backhoe. You know how to run a backhoe. Yeah, so you know you don't trust everybody for everything you you trust accordingly and then you refine it as you get to know because sometimes people have skills that you didn't know about and sometimes they don't have skills that you thought they had okay i think it gets a little bit um a little bit more complicated a little bit harder to learn how to trust people not so much with external skills but with emotional um, interrelational mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit harder because we all want to grow our capacity, but sometimes giving people the trust on that way can be really difficult for them and difficult for the Us. situation. Yeah. So that's a little harder to <laughs> Although, how many lawsuits uh, uh, arise because of trusting people on external things? But you don't generally, well, you can have lawsuits about external internal things. Yeah. So that's just a process, you know, if if we are just over eager, you know, oh, here's somebody who will finally listen to me and accept me. So I'm just going to trust them with all my whole emotional, you know, without really checking everything out, then yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah, and um, it, what we've ha all noticed, I mean, have you noticed that sometimes when you get to, the person you get to know is often different than the person after you know them a few years? 
Yeah. And so initially, especially in relationships, you know, and really romantic relationships are the big trash, the big trap here. <laughs> okay. So, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, because you're so eager. Like, I, I read, you know, it's like they have things of, you know, in pandemic times, how to find love. Or, you know, in the New York Times when they have, you know, the, the um, announcements for, for weddings and things like that, they, you know, they searched for love and found it. And it's like, you're searching for love? Love is something out there that you got to find and grab onto. Love is something in here that you've got to cultivate towards other people. But we look at it as something else. So I, you know, have such a, I'm so bereft of love in here that I'm searching for love. And there's somebody who's good looking. And, you know, yeah, the, the first date, you, you always try and make a good impression, don't you? Yeah. And second date, too, you make a good impression for a long time. Yeah. Until the shoe drops on the floor and they want you to pick it up. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, but, but. You know, when we were just getting, you used to be so nice and kind and sweet and helpful. And now, you know, you're just angry and criticizing me all the time. Anybody experience that? Anybody do that? Oh, a few people who are actually admitting you do that. Like even if they just start criticizing you, that it's just the huge expectations. It's like you can still be a nice person, but I'm still miserable, and this isn't good enough. This isn't what I. This isn't filling the hole. There's just it's yeah yeah. Even if there's not this big change, it's just disappointment because it's just not what I'm actually looking for. for. Right? Yeah. So, what, to come back to your question about trusting people emotionally, often what happens is we don't bother to get to know somebody first to see how, what, how they relate to emotions. We just are so, uh, we want so much to have that kind of relationship that we just dive in. Yeah. And it, so romantic relationships is one example. But it can happen with friends. It can happen with colleagues. You know, we, we just are, you know, we're like, we don't get to know somebody well in the beginning. And so our expectations, our fantasies get projected on them. And uh, then, you know, we, then we think they've changed, but either one of, sometimes certain, certain aspects of them haven't come out. Sometimes it really takes years and years to get to know what, what's really going on with some people. We've discovered that here, you know, too, with, with people and uh, seem like, oh, this perfect fit. And no, it wasn't. 
okay? Um, we can tell you some really funny stories about that too. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't know if they were so funny at the time. <laughs> they were very funny at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, so sometimes it happens, you know, that, you know, we just don't know them well enough. And so we expect too much or we, or they're trying so much to put on a good uh, positive image that we don't think that, oh, you know, what happens when they're in a bad mood? Yeah. I kind of think of this in terms of um, the emotional thing being like trusting someone's intention but not taking into account their capacity. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so sometimes we may be mistaken about their, their intention, but, or they may have a good intention, mm -hmm. but we haven't taken into account their capacity, like you said in the first yeah. part of this. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. They do have a good intention. They don't mean to hurt, but they just don't, or they're not interested in that. Different people have different ways of relating to emotion, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Okay, let's close here. Hope you have something to think about. <laughs> the cheating, the way that the afflictions cheat us.